Welcome to Own the Microphone. Join me, Bridget McGowan, an award-winning international professional speaker and owner of the independent publishing company, BMAC Talks Press. Hello and welcome to today's episode of Own the Microphone. I am Bridget McGowan, your host, and I am joined by Jamar Washington. Jamar, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. I'm excited too for this first question because it it seemed to bring joy to you when I asked you about it but didn't get an answer before hitting the record button. So you have not always been a professional speaker. What did you do prior to owning the microphone? Oh man, what didn't I do is the reason why I, <laughs> you couldn't get an a, a answer. Because I've I've done so many odd jobs, I've been so many things, but directly before I started speaking, I was a photographer. I was a commercial huh. photographer, and um, I became extremely successful at that. But um, I used to shoot a lot of corporate events, and I would hear people talking and telling their story. And I'm like, that's their story. I got something to say, you know. <laughs> and I hated being a public speaker. I mean, coming my background, you know, um, I wrote about it in my first book, I Won't Starve. I came from North New Jersey. I was in the hood. I was what you call a juvenile delinquent. And I really played that game to the, as best I could. And um, that game doesn't warrant you to speak out about what you do. You know, you played the shadows. And so I spent a lot of my, my life playing the shadows. I didn't start really speaking publicly until I joined church, like my like when I was 30. And so um, I would speak up and I would be at men's functions. And then I ended up becoming a deacon at my church. So I had to take over doing like some Bible studies and stuff like that. So I started, I didn't know it then, but in hindsight, I know it now. That's where I started speaking in front of people. So, cause I would still take pictures and like, oh man, I ain't really got no story. I got a story. But I wasn't about to get up there. <laughs> but being in church behind the scenes, more and more times I had a chance to get up in front of people and speak. And so um, about 10 years ago, I did my first Bible study for the whole church and knocked it out the park. And it was life changing because at the same day as I'm finishing my speech or my teaching, um, I was found out that my aunt passed away. Like literally my wife and some of the other women that knew me were waiting on me to finish and come off the podium to tell me that I had to go to New Jersey for, uh, cause I lost, but she's like my sister. Cause I'm the oldest grandchild. She's the youngest child and we only have a few years apart. So, um, that was crazy for me. But after that, I've been speaking ever since. Well, first off, uh, sorry for your loss. Um, coincidentally, yeah. my husband is traveling today because he lost an aunt. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, she lived a full life. Mm -hmm. uh, so you said that you knocked the presentation out of the park. How did you know you knocked it out of the park? Oh, well, you in church, you got, you know, especially <laughs> in the black church. <laughs> you better bring it, right? <laughs> and then the mothers in there, which I, whom I love still to this day, I'm no longer there and I'm no longer living where I live, but I love the mothers. They still check on me to this day. And um, I believe some of a lot of my success came from them praying over me and me doing my deacon services on Saturdays while they're doing their um, mother's prayer meetings. And they'll kidnap me and put me in the middle of them <laughs> and anoint my head and my feet. And, you know, um, that, that was just amazing for me. So, but they wasn't going to let you 
you know, they'll let me know if I wasn't on, on, on track. But um, I teach now, you know, certified trainer, you know, coach. And that was my um, beginnings of that. And I knew I knew my scripture. I knew what I was talking about. I was able to answer the questions. Um, I was able to bring my own philosophy to it and my own experiences to it. Um, and so I, I knew I was on the right path at that time. And I, I got the right response. I couldn't, you know, revel, revel in it. <laughs> as much because I got the information after I was done, but um, I was encouraged to continue on doing so. And uh, when the pastor would leave, I'll be one of the first people outside of his wife. Hey, hey, take care of that for me. Right, <laughs> so I, right. He wouldn't have did that if he didn't know that I can handle it. <laughs> so I hear you brought in your own experiences as you were talking. I also heard that you knew your content so you made it relatable. You made sure you were fully prepared. And then the third piece I heard was, it sounds like you had a support system. Now, you and I, as well as listeners know that you don't always feel like you have a support system in your audience. Yeah. Have you ever had a time where your audience is looking at you or maybe giving you the side eye or maybe you feel like, I don't know. They're not picking up what you're putting down. Have you ever had a situation where the audience just didn't feel like you were vibing with them? And what did you do? Yeah, um, plenty of times. I mean, um, it just all depends because it all depends on where they put you, you know. Yeah. You're the first person. I hate that, you know, and the crowd is still rowdy. <laughs> People haven't settled down. People still coming in, you know, um, those things. Or you're, you're coming behind somebody who kind of bombed. And so your your job is a whole lot harder. <laughs> so you kind of got to pick everybody up, then give them your message. You know, for me, I've got in the crowd. You know, I've worked my amen corner because maybe it's four people out of 40 or 400 <laughs> that are feeling you. So I work with them. <laughs> so, <laughs> yep. I've done it all, you know. So in my little bit of time on this earth and, and doing this profession, I, I, you know, one thing I've learned and I never liked hearing this, and that's why I didn't want to be that person, but I felt like I had to stick to the script. You know, whatever the audience needed at the time, I wanted to be that for them, and I'm willing to be that for the audience. You know, so if what you plan doing, doing, so even with me, I don't, I, I write points. I have my points, because I'm going to go wherever the, the, wherever it sends me, but I just need to know I'm hitting these things. And as long as yeah. I hit things, I'm, I'm good. But I'm trying to write a speech, and I've done it, but I never stick with it <laughs> yeah. because they don't want that right now. Let me just go to this. And that worked plenty of times, all the time. Like, okay, let's go with give them what they want. Yeah. Yeah. Give them what they want for sure. You made me think about how sometimes there are things you just can't con control in the presentation. The speaker before you isn't as dynamic and all of a sudden your job, it was already challenging because you're wanting to do a great job. Now you feel like you have to do a phenomenally great job. So there's so many things that you can't control, but there are factors that you can control in the presentation. And I know with each passing presentation, I will make specific requests after, you know, like one time I remember I had an experience, Jamar, where all they had was a handheld microphone for me. And I had not made a specific request for a lapel microphone or a lavalier microphone where it clips to your clothing and then your hands are free. After I found myself so 
unanimated. So, because I, I, I couldn't really use my hands. I felt a drop in my energy with me sitting here with this death grip on this handheld microphone that going forward, I made sure that was on my list of must-haves. I have to have a clicker if I'm going to be using slides so I can advance my slides myself remotely. I have to have that lapel microphone. I need to gain access to the room at least an hour before and so on. What are some of your, I guess, maybe non-negotiables or some things that you really try to control for so you are in the best position possible to give the audience what they want? Well, um, two things that I, I like, one of the things you hit on, I got to be there early. I yeah. have to be there early. I got to see what I'm dealing with. And I don't like to go first. <laughs> you know, I don't care if it's second. You know, I don't care if it's third. I got an event this Friday. I'm, um, it's a midnight function, even though it be, won't be midnight for me. It'd be nine o'clock, but we're doing a midnight scenario. So everybody got 15 minutes. I'm the third person. I said, that's cool. And that's fine because it's, nine, it's 930 for me here. <laughs> But everybody else is on the East Coast. But um, yeah, I I, I got to get there early. I got to see. I, I'm loud. So I've had that same situation. And I put the microphone down and say, can you guys hear me? And I've, and again, I, I'm a walker. Like, so I'll get off the stage. I will go up and down the audience. I don't have a problem with that. I want to touch people. I want to shake hands. I want to slap five. So that's me. You know, and I'm going to bring that bring that energy all the time, but I'm not going to just sit there. I've had to do that at schools, you know, school functions. But even in that, I just did a graduation in May, and um, it was for a school here, which was really a special school. It's um, it's called Mission High School, and all of the students are recovering from recovering addicts. So I couldn't get off the stage and go into the audience with the parents, but I the kids that was up there, I brought them into it. <laughs> You know, and they were they were participating with me and everybody. Oh, my God, I really never seen anything like that because I haven't. That's not my first time being there. I'll go there every month to, with those kids and I made a relationship with these kids. And um, so they understood how I operated. So I brought them into my presentation and they loved every minute. When you make the presentation more about the audience and less about you, you make it unforgettable. Those kids will not forget the experience they had with you even the ones that you didn't bring on with you the spectators they're not oh, going to forget they were they were used to it and then that, that was the name of my speech it was like oh don't forget the mission because that's the name of the school and I wanted to let them understand that their mission once they graduated is to definitely come back you know because the school is still growing it's the only school of its kind so far in the country and we have to do this together. And since then, I've had a couple of students actually come back with me. And now we're, you know, changing their uh, meal program because they don't really have a cafeteria. So we're taking on some of the responsibilities of bringing them food a couple of times a month. Um, to, and we're going to, the goal for my organization is to take over the meal plan, period, and feed the kids what they're supposed to um, have in the next two years. So that's one of the things that we're doing. So I'm like, bring, come back. We need to help. We need you to be able to talk to because coming up in the era where I came up, all I've seen, you know, when you go to the rehabs is ex-offenders or ex-drug users who help these people. And so that's the only way we're going to get it. Not from people coming from out of the, from the left and never did this, never had the experience. We need to keep you guys here. I want to set, set up a situation where we can give them jobs. If they go off to college and come back, you can give them jobs here and they'll actually really be able to help these kids. So 
that was what I wanted to talk to him about is not forgetting the mission. I like that. I think that's just a universal theme for everybody to figure out what is your mission in your household, in your school, in your life, and don't forget it. Jamar Washington, CPC, is a four-time author, certified business coach, and corporate trainer, and he's, guess what, a motivational speaker. He is a 20-year veteran entrepreneur and the founder of the I Won't Starve Academy, a 5013C nonprofit organization. Talk to me a little bit about your organization and how speaking is a part of it. Oh, man. So I won't starve. Hashtag I won't starve has been my mantra since I left my job. Again, as I said, I, I was a um, juvenile delinquent, which I graduated from high school by the skin of my teeth, left New Jersey, went to South Carolina and became a felon because I applied a trade that I knew as a kid, as an adult. However, quickly, I, I said, All right, I don't want to be this guy. but the world didn't let me go so fast. And so I became a felon. I still graduated college on the dean's list, but I could not get a job because I had a felony. And so um, I left South Carolina. When I graduated college, went to the D.C. area, which was a lot more progressive. But once the economy went crazy in the 08, 2012 era, um, my wife and I came back to South Carolina. It was a lot cheaper in that time frame, but I had got a rude awakening that, hey, you're still a felon. This is where you became a felon and you don't have this business anymore. So now I got to go get a job. And here I am, just got finished selling a six-figure business and I got to take an $8 hour job. And um, so it was crushing for me, ego-wise and everything like that, 30 years old. But I um, I worked there for about a year and I left the job and everybody was, hey, you had a job, you were, you know, trying to get yourself on your feet. Why would you leave? And my hashtag was, I won't stop. Just let them know. Look, I won't starve. I'll be fine. And, um, you know, I had already picked up a camera, was doing that and, you know, just was moving along. And then, um, again, I started telling people my story, talking about it, of course, doing what I was doing in church and became, I became successful as a photographer and working in a government contracting space. And um, one of the guys in the city local government came to me and said, hey, um, we might not be able to work with you because we're going to lose some of our funding. I said, what, what do you mean? He said, we're not meeting our supply diversity quotas. And he educated me on what that was. I said, oh, I can find you some other minority contractors. Don't worry about that. I had this experience. So I Won't Starve, the business was formed at that point. This is 2017, which we created what's called the I Won't Starve Experience. And I brought a bunch of minority contractors or would-be contractors into a room. I spoke and motivated them. And uh, this is literally, I don't even speak for about a year at that time. (laughs) Like, I just didn't want anybody to tell me that um, I was good enough to speak. So I created my own avenue to speak, charged the fee. We had about 100 or so people come in at that time. I brought the city in, um, the bank at that time, and a local um, college. And I spoke, I brought a couple other speakers in there and I won't starve. The company was born at the time and um, it became a 501c3 during the pandemic because I, again, being not, not being, um, well, me being obedient, I was able to say, um, people told me it'd be better. I'll get more support being a 501c3. And I listened and that did happen. And so it just started with helping minority contractors, but now we focus a lot more on um, minority young men in college and in high school, helping them with career development and entrepreneurship. 
Wow. Thank you so much. Uh, what is, uh, what an incredible story. What is, um, like, let's say your absolute favorite topic to speak on. Oh man, you know, my, I created my own quote. It's called the platform you leap from is more important than the platform you land on. And that was coming from my life because when I decided to leave my job, which I had every reason not to, I had to lean on the platform that I already built. And I've been an entrepreneur since I, you know, uh, through college, because again, I, you got to understand, I was fighting for my life in college, facing 10 years in prison, and I couldn't get a job even in college uh, with this felony over my head. And then afterwards, I couldn't get a job. So I, I went to D.C. and built a, a multiple six-figure business in South Carolina. I can do this. It was just so much negativity around me. And I had to finally say, forget the negativity. I built the hell of a platform for myself and I know what I'm capable of doing. And so when they say the platform you leap from, it's more important than the platform you land on because if you're already secure and you got what you need, no matter where you go, you're going to be able to produce at a high level. I don't live in South Carolina or New Jersey anymore or any of the places or Maryland. I live in Las Vegas and I didn't come in Las Vegas begging for any handouts. I came in Las Vegas and I'm immediately at a level where I needed to be respected as a businessman because of the platform I've already created for myself. Um, because of me teaching and training about government contracting and in that space, I've been all over this country teaching and training about government contracting because of the platform that's been built for me. So I teach people about building that platform. We're always worrying about going to the next level, where we're going to get to, it's where you are now is going to be able to sustain you at that level. And so that's my, one of my biggest and most important um, topics that I speak about all the time. Okay. I love that topic. That's outstanding. In a few minutes, you will have the opportunity to ask me a question. I'm looking forward to that. For now, I want to know if you were not a speaker, what would you do? Oh, man. <laughs> I don't know now. Um, <laughs> I know, right? I feel the same way. <laughs> yeah, I don't know now. I mean, my biggest thing outside of speaking and training and coaching is investing. Um, about five years ago, that was my plan to be a full-time investor. Now, uh, that was my five-year plan at the end of 2023 to be a full-time investor. But at that time, I wasn't uh, an author <laughs> yet <laughs> when I said that. I just was getting tired of entrepreneurship, to be, to be perfectly honest, because I went through it in a time where it wasn't the fun thing to do. You know, everybody thought the entrepreneurs were crazy. <laughs> um, you know, before social media came and everybody saying do it, it, it's a lot. And in my last book, Business Corner, I talk about, you know, who you have in your corner. Um, and, I, and my subtitle was how to survive the entrepreneurial fight, because it's a fight. And people, I say people are dying to be entrepreneurs. And that's literally, that's a, I, mean, I mean that literally. People are really killing themselves trying to be entrepreneurs. They're um, through alcoholism, through drugs, through just really literally committing suicide because they can't figure out this thing called entrepreneurship. And um, for me, I've done it. I've done it at a high level. I've started investing. I'm very successful at doing that. And all I want to do is be me. And I am those titles that you read. I'm just, that's who I am. I've been coaching before I knew I was coaching. 
You know, I've been teaching and training before I knew I can train. And now I'm an author and I have something to say. I'm never going to stop writing books until, you know, I got books. I'm, I talk in books, you know, so I love it. I found my lane. So the far as to add to my income, I'd rather just continue to invest. Speaking of investing, how do you invest in your growth as a speaker or your professional development as a speaker? Are there maybe conferences you go to? Are there speakers you follow, communities you're a member of? How do you grow as a speaker? You know, first thing, my first one is continuously being pre ever present and living life because everything that I talk about is something that I've experienced, you know, um, but I do have some people that I follow and I've, I follow then let go and, and pick up new people. So of course um, you have the Eric Thomas's of the world, Inky Johnson's, all those type of people, Les Brown's. Um, but I listen to them and move on. And I learned that from Gary Vaynerchuk because he's a speaker as well. He said, if you still listen to me after a couple of years, then you haven't grown. And I believe that, you know, because you have to live. You have to live. There's some technical situations to speak in, which I get that. And that's when more of an investment because I didn't start from a technical space. I just went at it. <laughs> but uh, so I focus more on that and saying, so I can open up more opportunities for myself. Hey, you might be at this conference and or a TED talk and you, you know, you want to do a TED talk. It's a different way of doing that than how you normally do it. So I'm open to those type of things and investing for that. But I just been speaking from my heart from the time I jumped out there. You know, um, I, I, as I said, I would have a camera and making good money. I'd be doing a conference and making me $6,000 to shoot a conference. And I'm listening to these people speak and I'll be like, I got something to say. I have something to say. And Again, my first time ever speaking for money was something that I created. And it's so funny because doing that same um, presentation now, which is of course evolved, I laugh. I don't even want to look at that presentation that I did. <laughs> same, same. I No way. I don't want to look. I don't want to listen. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't, yeah, I don't want to even look at that. Same with photos. I always tell people like, I like people <laughs> have, I'll go with somebody 10 years ago, they had their in their house, I'm like, oh my God, put that away. <laughs> oh man, was that me? <laughs> you know, but they they felt like it was an amazing photo. But you know, here I am on the cover of magazines and shooting the NFL, the WNBA and uh, NBA and all that other stuff like that. I'm like, I know I couldn't. They would saw that picture would have passed me up. <laughs> you know, to get that opportunity. So yeah. And you're also a four time author. Talk to me about how your books play a role in your speaking or how do they impact your speaking? Do you speak on topics that are covered in your book or do you, I don't know, sell your book after presentations or your books after presentations? How do, how do your books play a role in your speaking business? Oh, all of the above. So I have two business books and two motivational books. So my I Won't Starve um, is my story, and I believe it's extremely motivational. Um, I Won't Starve from 8,000 Six Figures. And then um, Morning Motivation, that was a book that I wrote during in the heat of COVID. And um, it was just because everybody was so negative. And um, it was like, oh, throw this year away, just forget this. And I'm like, no, you know, this is a crisis, but this is not our first crisis. It's definitely not going to be our last. So the, the subtitle is a consistent encouragement through a crisis. Like, how do we consistently stay encouraged and motivated through a crisis? And um, I was doing videos at that time every day. I did about 150 days straight of videos. And I didn't think I was going to be able to keep it going. 
So, I, you know, I was the third three time author at that point. Well, I was coming up on a three time author at that point. I said, well, let me write a book. And so <laughs> I elaborated on some of the topics that I was talking about. And it's amazing. It's something I continue to go back to even myself. So those are the two motivational books. And then my business books, my second book was You Won't Starve, Key Principles of Entrepreneur Development. It basically, um, I focused on what I did to become a six-figure entrepreneur at the time, you know, really down to earth. Because I, you know, I go and I train, I do most of my trainings in business. And you had these people coming, talking over their heads, talking to people about, you know, $5 million deals. And these people don't got $5 in their, in their pocket. And so that's what, this book is not about that. You know, we focused on three different um, topics or, or um, generations. We talked about Gen Z, um, millennials, and baby boomers. So we really got real down to earth on Gen Z, people coming out of school, millennials who are in the middle and want to make a pivot of their career, and um, baby boomers who are retiring right now. And Business Corner, which I think is my best book, because I just feel like I continue to get better and better as an author, you know, um, what's really needed to survive the entrepreneurial fight. My um, assistant, she said, you had to glow <laughs> when you were writing this book because, I, I mean, I just went in the closet and felt like it came out with a book. And, but it's, this is just my life as an entrepreneur, especially as me trying, trying to get away from it and focus on just investing and helping other people grow their businesses. Um, I realized that, reason why a lot of businesses don't succeed is because they don't have the right people in their corner. Starting with in the beginning, when your family's not supporting you or your spouse is not supporting you, it's tough. Even to that mid portion of it when, okay, you got your wife or your husband to support you and sit back for three to five years and not get a new Louis bag or go on vacation or things like that. And then you say, hey, I got a half a million dollars saved up. And then you tell them, they tell you and say, hey, look, I'm about to put it all back into the business. <laughs> like you got to have a special person around you to dig that, you know. And these are yeah. things that I've literally done, you know. As a photographer, I'm like one car. We got the smallest house in the neighborhood, and I'm like, okay, now I got a hundred grand, and I'm like, you know, I'm about to put this into a building because I want a studio, a three thousand square foot building, and I got the, I got the, uh, um, my building is bigger than my house. And my kids don't understand that because I have friends who have it who are millionaires. And I'm going to their house. Why our house don't look like that? And I'm like, well, why they always got to use my building for something? You, you know, <laughs> they don't really understand that at the time. But it took me to, you know, really say, hey, I'm reinvesting in my company. And it changed the trajectory of my life. You know, now I have tenants and that was a real estate scenario. Then we went and bought another building. And these type of things. So it was just a different thing. But I had if I, my wife was one of those women like worry about how many Louis bags she's going to have and how many Louis bags she's missing because of this situation, she would have messed that up. She would have derailed it for me, you know? So, and now down to selling the company. When I sold my cleaning business in DC, I could have made more than a million dollars off of that business, but I didn't have the people around. And so I was taken advantage of because we were in hard times during the recession. And so having the right people, no matter what portion of your business, you know, in your corner is really going to make you, um, make you successful. And that's what I wanted to put in that bit in that book right there, business corner. I like the point that you make about having the right biz, uh, right people in your corner, even with speaking, you want to have the right 
elements, the right tools, the right everything in your corner. I mean, I'm talking about outfit. I'm talking about resources. I'm talking about content design. Those are quote unquote, your people, if you will, when it comes to, to speaking, it's a whole package. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's and uh, you know I put if you see the see the uh, it's like a, a boxing ring, yeah. And I tell people all the time, you've never seen whether it's Muhammad Ali, Floyd Mayweather, whoever they never showed up with nobody in their corner, and they're professionals. They're the best at what they've done, but they still didn't show up alone. You know, Michael Jordan didn't play without a coach. Like we have to have the right people in our corner in order to be successful, and. That's what I see. They, we always talk about, oh, well, 95% of businesses will fail, but we don't talk about why, you know, why. And it's because this person is catching hell because they took the last $20,000 and put it into a business and their wife or their husband or their parents are saying, you're stupid, you're this. How are you supposed to succeed without that? those people, you know, the positive energy around you, the support system around you? So that's I put all of that in that book. I wrote that book extremely fast. And like I said, she always said you you was in you had to glow when you were writing that book. I, I want to be one of the church sisters right now, waving my my handkerchief at you. All I could find was this little toy <laughs> I'm sitting on the pew waving at Deacon Washington preach. <laughs> you remind me of this book by Dan Sullivan entitled Who Not how oftentimes as entrepreneurs and business owners you try to do everything you don't trust anybody you got burnt by so-and-so i've gotten burned by different contractors and people that i brought into the business to support me in growing but you can't try to do it all yourself so what i love about this book the who not how it's about building your team and getting the right people on board and not sitting, figuring out, trying to figure out how to do it yourself. Because you're doing people a favor. When you find people where, let's say, marketing is their zone of genius, graphic design is their zone of genius, research is their zone of genius, you're doing them a favor by bringing them on because now they get to do what they love. And then you're also doing yourself and your business a favor because now you can grow exponentially with these experts. You cannot become an expert in all those areas. You can't, you can try, okay? What is it? Jack of all trades, master of none. You can try. Now I got to get my handkerchief out because you preaching now. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, listen, this is what they're teaching them. You know, on social media is like, do your own thing. I said, that's not entrepreneurship. That's self-employment. I said, it's a different thing. I look, I didn't, I mean, this is my first time speaking to you. You were speaking to my assistant. I don't have a clue half the time. You know, they'd be talking about me. Like you said, who sent that? I didn't send you anything. <laughs> it's, it's a system that goes on. You know, I'm contracted with a bunch of uh, business um, accelerators and these people would jump the gun and try to send me a, 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 um, a Zoom thing. And my assistant jumped right there to meet with him you have to go through this i'll be sending you i haven't the slightest idea what goes on i just i'm surrounded by a bunch of people tell me what to do and where to be there you go that That that, the the successful people that's what they do that is what they do okay jamar what is your question for me Oh man, I the the probably a question you asked you've been asked a hundred thousand times, but for me to get to know you and we can be BFFs, what made you start become a speaker? Ah, 
I have been a professional speaker since 2001, and it started with being in school, going to conferences, submitting proposals, and speaking there, and so on. And then I transitioned into teaching. And when you teach, you're just making a presentation on a regular basis. But what pushed me to do it full time in 2016 was I got laid off. Oh. I had been with an ed tech company for a little over seven years at that point. I'd been with them for seven years, three months and six days, but who's counting? Mm -hmm. And I traveled the country along with a team of colleagues delivering workshops and conferences and webinars and so on and so forth. And I loved what I did. But more importantly, Jamar, it seemed like my audiences were, you know, picking up what I was putting down. So after I got laid off, and that was like the best job ever, my colleagues were the smartest, kindest, most generous people ever. I will never find another team like that again. I said, you know, you've been doing this presentation thing for a minute. People seem to enjoy it. Others have taken it up as their main source of income. Girl, you're going to do it too. So that was in April of 2016, where I made the leap. Didn't know what I was doing, okay? Went and bought a URL on, it sat for a couple of months, okay? Uh, got my uh, LLC, got my EIN, alphabet soup going on, Jamar, just trying <laughs> to collect the pieces. But like you were saying, don't worry about, you know, where where you're going to land when you take the leap, just take the leap. So that's what I did in April of 2016. And I've been doing it full time ever since. But it was, you know, one, to directly answer your question, one, it's something that has always come relatively, I shouldn't say easy to me, but it, it you know, I don't shy away from it. I was the church school secretary as a kid and <laughs> so proud to get up and deliver my report of what the lesson was and what the scripture was for the day and how much we collected and how many were in attendance. It, it. I never shied away from it as long as I had that opportunity to prepare. As an yeah. introvert, I need to be able to prepare. Don't ask me on the spot to quote unquote, share a few words. I, that's not my style. I need an opportunity to collect my thoughts and put something together that sounds coherent. So one, it just always came relatively easy to me, so to speak. I enjoyed it. And then I think most importantly, audiences really seem to get value from when I speak and people keep hiring me. So I don't know, I might be on to something. <laughs> yeah. They ask me to do those all the time. They step around But I, again, being trained in the church, it was one of those things of always keep a word in your pocket. And so um, I don't I don't shy away once I went. But it's funny you say April 2016, because that was my first time actually doing a speech. I did it in um, Atlanta. Some, a friend of mine moved to Atlanta from South Carolina and he had a program with kids at Georgia State University and he knew my story. And he said, I need you to come down there. And I spoke twice in the morning and the afternoon. The first time I, I bombed. And the second time we went to lunch and he said, you got something. He's like, just be yourself. Stop trying to act like somebody else, be yourself. And after that, it was cool. But I, I, was, I was hooked after that. And, yeah. and, and that part is so key being yourself, even when you have to follow a script, you know, when I was with that ed tech company, I didn't necessarily have to follow a script, but there were some times where maybe I had to present on something and they had it outlined a certain way where they wanted it 
whatever, certain content that had to be covered or a certain flow had to be followed. But when I brought my own personality to it, it actually made the presentation go a little bit more easily for me. Um, But yeah, just being yourself is huge. Yeah, that was a big deal for me when he said that. And uh, we, we, we celebrate each other all the time because now he's still has his program, but now he's one of the um, barbers for, um, for Tyler Perry Studios. And, um, and he moved there to do, do that, moved from South Carolina to uh, Atlanta to do that. So watching him grow and watching me grow as a speaker, he, he always said, I remember that first day. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, yeah, but- I need you to forget the first day and throw away any pictures of me from back then. <laughs> it was cool. The kids loved it. Um, yeah. You know, it was just, you know how kids are, you know, um, I was glad I started with them before adults and I enjoy it. I look forward to making these relationships with other speakers. That's the thing. I, I do need to spend a lot more time with other speakers. I think that a lot of people shy away from me because the entrepreneurship part leads first, then the speaker portion. And so it's like, they start to, you know how us men are, they try to size each other up first, you know, to see if they qualify as an entrepreneur or if I qualify as an entrepreneur and, you know, but I need to be around a lot more speakers because it's a lot more friendly when you get around other speakers and, you know, people respect you. I see a lot more speakers hanging with each other in the entrepreneurial space is not really like that. You know, it's just, it's always a secret competition, you know, for some reason. It's like, oh, what kind of car does he drive? What's this and that? And once you get all that out of the way, like, okay, can we do business now? You know, <laughs> the, the babies do it, you know, you got it. So, so what kind of car do you drive? And I used to I get on them, but now I indulge them, you know, to get past it. I'm like, okay, fine. I drive a Lexus. Oh, okay, great. And move on. I had one kid ask me, what's your net worth? I said, you can just tell me what net worth is and I'll tell you. Okay, check this out, Jamar. Kind of random, kind of not. Our nine-year-old son, about two months ago, asked me, what was my net worth? Okay. <laughs> They start young, Jamar. It's not just in the entrepreneurial community. <laughs> and I don't know what's up with these babies. Yeah, I mean, I've done some high school kids. I've um, spoken to some uh, middle school kids. It was middle school kids that asked me what was my net worth. And I said, can, if you can tell me what net worth is, I'll tell you what my net worth is. And he couldn't tell me. So it was just funny. But I'm like, what are you know, they're hearing this on the, on the music or what, or yeah, in, yeah. whatever. But in the entrepreneurial space, again, I, I try to shy away because I'm really going f- like full speed ahead into investment. Even the businesses yeah. that I'm involved in, I'm involved as an investor. Yeah. I'm yeah. not really pushing. I've gotten rid of so much once I left South Carolina. And that's a whole nother story. I mean, I, I just felt like I tell people, they say, why did you leave? I say, because every dollar I got in South Carolina, I had to, um, you know, it was like pulling it out of God's hand himself you know, to get that, it was too hard to giving you guys stuff that I, that you, I know you needed. And then when I came here, people were okay with giving the money, but they didn't want to do the work. So I'm like, okay, look, um, look, all right, let me just focus on me <laughs> and <laughs> investments. And I'm like, I'm, I'm good with that. My kids are having the best time of their life. They're living, the, you know, great. And um, I, I enjoy that. That's That's been the thing for me. I didn't have the mother, daddy, thing, the mama, daddy yeah. thing. So I love being like super dad and my kids just enjoy me being able to be there for them. They don't miss anything. My daughter, she's the oldest. She saw the whole struggle for the most part. 
And so that's my my roadie. She knows. And so she's enjoying the fact of, okay, well, we're getting this car or living, you know, they don't live in the littlest house anymore. <laughs> so they're enjoying that part. I'm like, it was all a hustle, you know, for, for daddy. I had to figure this thing out so that we won't starve and make sure that I can pay the bills no matter what situation. We got too, got too comfortable with everything being taken from us. And so I said, you know what, I'm going to line it up so no matter what happens, you're not taking anything from us. And if you did take it, we're still going to be okay. There you go. We're still going to be okay. And as a side note, I posed the same question to our son when he asked, what's my net worth? I said, uh, define that for me. And he did, Jamar. Just I love it. He he's a mess. Oh no, 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 listen. He cracks me, cracks me up. Look, look, listen, give him so, the knowledge. Frederick Douglass said it best. You know, it's better to build strong children than repair broken men. And yeah, that yeah. is one thousand percent my goal. That's why I shifted the company's focus, the um my nonprofit's focus to the kids. Yeah. And my daughter, she's a two-time author herself, and she's only 15. That's awesome. And my son has his own business now at 10. Uh, he likes basketball. I don't pretty much subscribe to the, you're going to make it to the NBA thing, but me doing my own research and I used to play ball myself. I said, you know what? You can train kids younger than you. And so on the weekends in the summertime, he trains smaller kids and, they, and parents have paid him this summer, the whole summer for training babies. He's going to be a, um, a professional referee at 13. And I'm like, if you love basketball, you're going to love the whole thing not whether or not they're going to give you an opportunity to play for them. Because I told them professional referees make $800,000 a year in the, in the NBA. So we, we'll be all right. So you, you, you <laughs> be doing that. So you're going to know the whole game in and out. And so we created a company called J squared athletics and it's on him. That's his company. I just support. Love it. Love it. Love it. Jamar, what, are parting words you can give our listeners to make sure that they're always showing up owning that microphone? Oh man. So the, the people who choose to take on the microphone, um, I read TD Jake's book, don't drop the mic. And it was for us speakers. You know, you have a responsibility, you have responsibility. And I got goosebumps just saying that you have a responsibility when you choose to pick up that microphone and it's for A, try to be as honest as you possibly can be. You know, um, I, I get it. I get it. You want to entertain people. You want to make people feel good. But you have to be comfortable with yourself when you leave that microphone because you're going to run into some of these babies, you know, at the store and they're going to sneak up on you, watch you buy that six pack <laughs> or what catches you someplace in the, the oddest places. I mean, I've been buying shoes and somebody say, hey. I saw you. My son just graduated fifth grade graduation. You were there, man. Thank you. You from Jersey, right? Thank you. Thank you. Now I'm glad. I always. I'm glad I wasn't doing something I wasn't, I wasn't supposed to be doing. <laughs> so please understand. Once you decide to be that person to pick up that microphone, it comes with a different level of responsibility that you don't even realize because we just do it so haphazardly. So do that, and then the last thing I would say about picking up that microphone, leave it all there. Leave it all there, man. Like, give them everything that you got. You'll replenish later, but give them everything that you got. I'm always wild when I get off the stage. I'm always wild. <laughs> I'm always wild. If you are not wild, I'm going to question if you were giving it to I get a five-minute speech. I get that. But if you really got a significant amount of time on there and you're not wild, 
I don't know. I'm gonna question if you were actually really giving them what they need and what they require in that space. You're right about being worn out. I hadn't thought about that, but uh, someone uh, posed a question to me on another episode where it was something to the effect of like, how do you feel after a presentation and especially being an introvert because we get our energy from being alone and being in front of you know hundreds thousands of people you're anything but alone and I remember sharing a story with him I misspoke and said that the size of the tank on our vehicle was a 23 gallon tank it's actually a 26 gallon tank so if y'all listen to that episode and you hear me talk about 23 gallon tank it's a 26 gallon tank but I told him what was that $150 gas you had to fill up. <laughs> Why you playing? Um, <laughs> I have a Tahoe, so yeah. <laughs> you know, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we have an Escalade, so it's in the yeah. same family. Uh -huh. So anyway, I was talking about how I feel like I need, you know, 26 plus gallons of gas after a presentation. I feel beyond empty. So yeah, if you're getting up there and you're not feeling worn out, uh, you're not doing it right. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's something wrong. Yeah. You know, I <laughs> yeah, teach four hour classes to cohorts in different places. My whole family knows what teaching day looks like. <laughs> like it's like a whole different thing you know they're getting it prepared for me before and after like the kids are walking on hey look leave daddy alone because <laughs> that's oh he has to speak yeah and so it's one of those things it's we gotta get we gotta leave it out there but they, they see you see it you yeah. see it. they're they're like oh my god when a coaching session oh my god when you spoke the other day when you did this it just stuck with me you if you're not getting that then you're not giving them everything you're cheating there you go there you go. Love it. Jamar Washington, it's been fantastic having you on the show. Thank you so much. Likewise. Thank you for having me. For sure. And to my listeners, thank you for tuning in to today's episode. I am Bridget McGowan. Until next time, make sure you always own the microphone.